As you're wrapping those ballots up, we're in the process of crunching numbers right now, going through statistics, finances, all those things. I'm the district secretary for our uh, denomination for this district, so I'm actually compiling all the statistics of all the churches on our district, and uh, I enjoy that kind of thing. It's kind of, it's kind of my thing, and uh, so it's exciting to see what God is doing. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I shared with them in early service this morning, and, and I'm, I'm almost ashamed of it, but, but I, I went through as we've kind of been, you know, seeing, you know, what our last year looked like, and and, you know, the most phenomenal thing is we had a record year in giving, and I'll share that with you uh, when, when I give you the report, uh, but uh, just how, how God has used you people to be a blessing, not only to the church, to our denomination, but this community is unbelievable. When you see the, the numbers from this past year, uh, we've, we've got a lot to celebrate. Uh, almost $700,000 that uh, you guys has allowed uh, God to, to use through you. We know it's all his, and we just give it back to him to use for his glory and his kingdom. Uh, we'll be telling you more about that. But there, I, I was, as I was going down through the, the numbers, and, and I got to salvations, I, I was like, I got to salvations, and I was like, oh, man, we're down. You know, last year we had 40 you know, 40-something salvations, and this year we only, we only had 14. And it was almost like God thumped me on my head when, when I thought that and thought only 14 people came to know Christ this past year, you know, through the church. And I was like, you know, where I, I, you know uh, look at last year and what you did. And he was like, but there would be so many churches and so many pastors that would be thrilled to know that God had worked through them to see 14 people saved. And so God checked me on that. So we're going to have a great celebration about uh, those who have been saved this past year. And then to kick off the year right, this past Wednesday night, I'm in Nashville uh, this past week, got back last Last night, I get a text Wednesday night after church from a, a children's worker, a volunteer uh, here on Wednesday nights, and says six kids accepted Christ as their Savior in Wednesday night Bible study. And I was like, wow. So it was almost like God saying, you know, you're disappointed. I'm fixing to show you. I'm, I'm going to show out. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that, sharing with you the, you know, the victories, the celebrations, the challenges that, that we face as a church. Uh, but now that we have all the formalities out of the way, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts uh, this morning, uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament. In a moment, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1. Uh, and while you're finding that, I just want to echo what Hunter said to some of you earlier. Uh, next Sunday is Mother's Day. Don't mess that up. All right. Uh, it, it was funny this morning in early service when Hunter was making the announcements uh, when the ushers were coming up and he was saying next Sunday is Mother's Day. And he got this panicked look on his face and he looks over at me and he said, it's not today, is it? And I was like, no, it's not. You've got a week to uh, prepare for that. But uh, you don't want to miss next Sunday, Mother's Day here. If you're a mother, uh, uh, some lucky uh, mom in each service next week is going to go home spoiled rotten uh, on Mother's Day. Uh, we've got just an incredible Mother's Day gift. 
Uh, we'll give you an opportunity when you come in to, to register and sign up for that. But in the early service and the, this second service, some, some lucky mom's going to go a, a, away just totally spoiled with an incredible gift basket. Just so you know, um, the, the, your odds will be better, moms, at the early service, okay? Just so you know, it's about half the people in that early service. And so, uh, but, but anyway, don't miss next week. But I'm excited this week because we're starting uh, a new series that we've been planning on and, and praying about, thinking about, preparing for uh, over these past few months that we're beginning today as we begin this new church year. Uh, we're starting this series today that we're calling uh, The Movement. And over the next several weeks, and I say several weeks, we, we, may, we may be in this series throughout the entire summer. Uh, I don't know. I, I know we're going to be here a while. We're going to be studying the book of Acts. Uh, and I believe the book of Acts is going to show us beautifully uh, what, the, the, what the church looked like when it began uh, back in the first century. We're going to see the history of that, uh, of, this, uh, of this movement that we call uh, the church today. Uh, today is basically going to be an introduction into that series. I'm just kind of trying to give you a high-level view of what we're going to be talking about uh, over the next several weeks and lay some foundation and groundwork uh, for this series that we're going to find here in, in Acts chapter 1. So I, I want to start today by asking you this. I want to ask you a simple question and, and just kind of note uh, what it is that pops in your mind first when I ask you this question. What do you think of or what comes to your mind when I say the word church? What is it? And you don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to, to note, make note of what it was the first thing that you thought of when you thought when I said the word church, what is it that comes to mind? I'll be perfectly honest. The first thing that came to my mind as I'm, as I'm going through this and, and preparing to ask you that question, I thought, what's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the word church? I thought of the church that I was raised in as a kid. I, I was basically born and raised in the Free Will Baptist Church down in Conway. I was there 18 years of my life. And so when I thought of the word church, the first picture that came to my mind was that church, you know, the church that I, I spent, uh, I almost said most of my life in. Uh, I've actually been here 21 years now. And so uh, God is good. I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, anyway, you know, I'm not sure what images come to your mind when you think of, of the word church or hear the word church, but I would guess that it's probably not exactly how they understood church to be back in the first century. Uh, in this time that we're going to be looking at because the church from the, the very beginning was essentially a movement. Uh, and we've talked about this uh, some before, uh, but we're really going to be focusing in on it and drilling down into it over the next several weeks. Uh, uh, in the beginning, it, it was a movement that basically developed from some very deep-rooted convictions that the disciples had. Uh, uh, you know, this deep-rooted conviction in their heart and in their life that, you know, Jesus uh, had died and, and he was, you know, the only Savior for sinners in the world and that he had, raised, he had risen uh, from the dead, basically proving to them the fact that he was who he said he was. 
right? That he was the Messiah. He was the king of kings uh, over all the earth and that all people everywhere uh, now were uh, commanded to repent and be invited to follow Jesus on this journey, on this movement uh, that, that would end up uh, one day eventually in heaven to be with him for all of e eternity. And, and so in the original Greek of the New Testament, uh, uh, the word that is translated church uh, in the English language comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Okay, and, and Kevin, by the way, Kevin McNabb was in the earlier service and he confirmed everything that I said as truth. Okay, just so you know, those of you that know Kevin, he is our local historian that keeps me straight when I say things that aren't right. And so everything that I'm saying this morning is accurate and approved by Kevin McNabb. Uh, so, but anyway, it comes from this Greek word ecclesia, uh, which literally means an assembly or a gathering of people around a common idea. All right, it's what it means. In fact, if you break down the word ecclesia, uh, the E-K, uh, the first two letters comes, means basically this, out of. Okay, ek means out of, and kaleo, the second half of the word, uh, means uh, called out. So think of an ecclesia as an assembly of people that have been called out around this idea. All right, that's what it means. But over the years, unfortunately, something has happened as we have translated that word and we have taken uh, that word and basically redefined that word. People began to think of church as a place, all right, instead of a, a movement. It was a place that you went to to have a religious service or a religious uh, event. And sadly, this shift in thinking, uh, ch it changed the, the fundamental way that people related to church and, and thought about the church in general. Uh, it totally changed it. Instead of, in, instead of people being, being the church, all right, they, they, they went to church, and it was an event that you sat through rather than a movement that you would be a part of. All right, do you see the danger in that? Uh, and that's what happened. And so what happened was that the church basically became a, an institution. It basically became a place that provided services for people. And, and the problem with that is, is especially in our generation today, you talk to younger kids uh, and young people, I, I call people in their 20s and 30s now kids, but uh, uh, you know, you talk to younger people and they are very anti-institutional. All right, and for very good reason, I believe. If you'll listen to them and hear them out, uh, they, they have very good reasons as to why they're anti-institutional. So this idea that the church as an institution has a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And oh, by the way, this didn't just begin it with this generation that we're living in now. This was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And what was happened was the church became this place that people viewed as in, essentially a place that would provide services for people uh, in a community. Uh, community. And sadly, uh, another unfor unfortunate thing about the church was this. It was controlled by very powerful people, all right? It, it was controlled by people who used the institution for their own gain, for their own political leverage or whatever it may be, all right? And, and so, uh, you know, they used the church basically to serve their own interest. 
Uh, but then history tells us that something awesome happened. Uh, and some of you that have studied history, especially church history before, you know that God raised up a group of people. Uh, I believe it was back in, in around the, the 1400s. So, you know, this was a problem that happened long, long ago. God raised up a group of people that were known as the reformers. All right, and, and so basically, uh, one of the main ones that was in this group of reformers uh, that that represented the English-speaking world was a, a man by the name of William Tyndall. All right, some of you may be familiar with him, when it, especially when it comes to our Bible. Uh, Tyndall basically came to the conviction that Christianity was being viewed totally wrong. The church was being totally wrong. He embraced this idea that the church was founded and formed as a movement and not an institution, and that if people were going to be devoted to the movement, then they need to understand the message for themselves, right? They needed to know the message. They needed to understand the message. They needed to own the message for themselves, or they would never be a part of a movement. They would never be dedicated to it. They would never be committed to it. And so basically it became his life's calling and his life's work to basically produce the first translation uh, of the Bible into English. And so every time that he came to the word ecclesia, because he saw this, this issue with the church being viewed as an institution, and he knew that it must be viewed as something different than that, just a place where we go. And so as he's translating the scripture into English, every time he came to this original word ecclesia, in the original Greek, he translated it into congregation instead of church. He purposefully used the word congregation instead of the word church. And, and what he was trying to do was emphasize that the church is not a place. It's not a place that you go. It's not a place that you attend. It's not even an event, but it's a movement that you belong to and that you are a, a, a part of. And it didn't go over so well. Right, Because you've got all these powerful people that are in control of the church that don't want people to view it in any other way. They want it to be viewed as an institution. It didn't go over well. Church leaders were infuriated by this because they basically felt like it undermined their authority. It undercut them because here's what they're telling the people in the church. They're saying, we will tell you the message of God. There's no need for you to have it. There's no need for you to have access to the scripture. You're not smart enough. You're not intelligent enough. You're not called by God. And so you leave that to us and we'll tell you what God's word says and what it wants you to do. Okay. And, and so by, by Tyndall, you know, wanting to put the, the God's word in everybody's hands, you know, it was flying all in the face of these leaders that were in control and in power. And, and eventually Tyndall was tried as a heretic and found guilty. And he was, and they hung him because of this. They hung him and he was burned. Not only was he hung, but he was burned uh, at the stake. And during his trial, right before he died, here's what he said uh, to the leaders. He said, if God spares my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. See, that, that, was his, that was his calling. That was his purpose in life was to get the word into the hands of the people, into the hands of the congregation. And he knew that this had to happen and it had to take place, but they killed him for it, right? And one of the last things that was ever recorded that he said were basically a prayer, and it was this. Tyndall said, prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, open the eyes, open the king of England's eyes. That was his prayer. Open the king of England's eyes, right? And if you've ever owned 
a King James Version Bible, then you can see that God did answer that prayer, right? And, 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 but this is, this is what the church is. This is what the church is. It's an uh, assembly that is built around a movement, okay? It's this idea of a group of people assembled together that's moving together in this movement. And here's the danger. The danger is that we get caught up in this cultural notion, right, where the church ceases being a movement. The, the danger is that we stop moving, the danger is that we stop being so passionate and committed about the message that we discontinue the movement and instead we become a place that simply provides services to people. And they will want to come here because the services we provide are better than the services they provide down the street. There's danger in that. We won't do that. Me as your pastor, we will not go there, all right? I told somebody this morning, I'm probably going to get fired before this series is over. But I'm passionate about the fact that we are not an event. We're not a place where people come and get served. We're a place that serves the world and is called into the community. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. And if you want to take vacation all summer and never come back to church, um, God bless you. But anyway, uh, instead, of, instead of becoming a ministry, you know, that, that just provides services, uh, you know, we got to do better than that. We can't become that because, listen, movements move. Amen. Movements move. And, and if you're part of the movement, you'll be moving. <laughs> Does that make sense? I tried to put it as simple as I possibly could. If you're part of a movement, you will be moving. You won't be sitting and watching. All right, and so that's the question for us today and over the next several weeks is as we unpack all of this, you know, are we as a church, are we just providing services? You know, are, are we just running like an institution? Or are we a movement? Are, are we part of a movement that God is doing uh, in this world? And in this community, and, and, and for you, you know, is the church a place that you just attend, or is it a movement that you have been personally a part of? I believe God's going to convict some of us today about whether we're moving or we're just members uh, of an institution. So let's go to God's Word first, and, and let's see how it all started. Let's see how, how it all began uh, there in Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He had gathered his disciples together there on a hillside. That's kind of the setting for where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says this, Then they gathered around him, and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, basically what they're doing right now is going, God, give us a plan. Let us know what's happening next. Uh, everything that's kind of happened in the past, uh, we know that you told us what was coming. We really didn't understand it. It's really kind of blown our minds. So we understand now that you're back, whew, glad you're back, you know. I'm glad you're back, back with us. But what's the plan? What are we going to do next? What's the next step? Where's the blueprints? Where's the vision? You know, where's the mission statement? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How should we proceed? So verse 7, he says this. It's not for you to know. <laughs> it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own uh, authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends 
of the earth. And this word witness that's used here uh, was a term that was used in court. All right, he, he was using a familiar term to them that they would all known. It basically meant a, a witness was someone that testified uh, in a court of law. You testified about what you had seen. Okay, so a witness's job really uh, wasn't to do anything. It was basically to tell others about what has already been done. That's their role as a witness was to tell others about what has already taken place and what has already been done. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is get, about to get weird. No, this just got weird, <laughs> right? This just got really weird. And then I, 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 love, I, I love this, verse 10. Look what it says. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. I'm not really sure that's how I would have worded that. Because can you imagine how they were looking? <laughs> you know, I, I, I told them in early service today, one of these days I would like to just take the Bible and translate it from like a Greenbrier perspective, you know. He turned the water into sweet tea, uh, you know. The disciples were looking up into the sky like a cow looking at a new gate. You know, there's just so many things that I could make this so much more Greenbrier-ish. Uh, but this is the Bible, and I can't change it. So they were looking up into the sky intently when suddenly, gets even more weird, two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, he's talking to the disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? You look like fools, right? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back in the clouds. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Can you imagine? This has to be one of the strangest, you know, and hard to believe scenes that the, the disciples have seen a lot. And it's just really gone to the extreme level now uh, of what they've seen. And, and think about it. He gives them the largest assignment that you could ever imagine being given right here. Does he not? And then with hardly any explanation, without any plan of action to do this huge task, he gone. You know, he just leaves. I, I mean, can you imagine if that would have been us that was standing there on this hillside and Jesus basically said, oh, by the way, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to tell everybody in the whole wide world about what you have seen and what you've experienced. And they're sitting here going, you know, and then he's gone. And they're like, wait, wait, you know, what, what, what do you mean? Can, can you give us a plan? Can you be more detailed? You're telling us to go into the whole world. And oh, by the way, uh, we don't even know what the whole world is at this point. You know, we don't know how big that is. Well, you know, where are you going? Do you realize how awesome and how, uh, un, you know, this is almost unrealistic for you to tell us to do what you're telling us to do, right? And Jesus is like, yep, you're right. You have no idea how big the world is. I created it. I can see it fine from right here, but you have no idea. You have no understanding of how big this task is. And so, listen, this is where it begins. This is the beginning right here of the movement. The task that we've been given, 
and how it, it all happened. We have the where and, and, and the when. And, and 2,000 years later, here we are. Here we are with more Christians on this planet, in this world today, than any other religious group. All right? And, and it all started right here with a group of 12 men who were fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors, some of the most unlikely people, you know, probably not people that we would have chosen, you know. But I want to point out two things today about this movement that we're going to build off of uh, in the weeks ahead. The first thing is this. This message captured their hearts and captured their minds. This message captured the disciples. Our question is this. Has it captured ours? Has it captured yours? Now, their conviction was what? Well, their conviction was that Jesus had died as a substitute for sinners. They were very convicted about that fact, right? That Jesus had come and he had died as a sacrifice and paid a price for sinners. He, he wasn't just another prophet that had come with a, you know, an incredible religious message. He was God himself. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Fully God, fully man, right? And he came as God himself basically on a rescue operation to save us from ourselves is why he came. And what did we do? We crucified him. We crucified him. The very human race that he came to save, we killed him because we're rebellious children, right? That's, that's who we are and what we do. And, and like we talked about last week, we had rather run our own lives than submit to him and submit to his plan. And, and so, but, but isn't it ironic what happened? I mean, think about what took place. Our murder of him, his sacrificial death, was the payment that God accepted for our sins if we would acknowledge it and receive it. Isn't that crazy? That it, it would have to be that way for God to be able to receive it from us if, if we acknowledge it and receive it. So, so what else do we know about these disciples? Well, uh, we know that they also believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, Right? Why, why did they believe this? Because some preacher got up and stood before them and preached and somehow told a convincing story that they would buy? No. They had seen him. They had seen him, dead, buried, crucified, right, and risen, alive. They had seen him. All right, so there was no doubt that he was still dead. There was no doubt to them that he was still in the tomb. A lot of people doubt that Jesus raised from the dead. Scripture is very clear. He appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected so that they would know and they would go and tell the disciples had experienced this. They believed that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. They had seen it with their own eyes. This proved to them beyond any doubt whosoever that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, the, the Messiah. And the disciples also understood that if this were true, that this was the greatest act of grace that anyone could possibly ever imagine, right? You could have never dreamed up a story this incredible about God's grace and God's mercy and how it all worked and how it all came to be. God, the creator of all things, God, the creator of all people dying for his rebellious children. Who would have ever thought of a story like that? Whoever would have come up with a plan like that? And they saw it all play out firsthand with their own eyes. They were witnesses to what God had done. 
to his mercy and to his grace and to his plan of salvation. And this message was of the greatest importance ever because it was humanity's only hope for salvation. It was our only hope of salvation from our sins. It was the only hope that, the, that humanity had to be saved from hell. These disciples knew it. They understood it. And if, if this were true, then there weren't other ways to get to God. If this about Jesus was true, then there weren't other ways to get to heaven. There, there was only one way. If there were other ways of salvation, then God would not have put his son through what he put him through, through the beatings and the cruel cross of Calvary. If there were to have been another way, that wouldn't have had to take place. And the disciples had witnessed this and seen this. Think about it. When Jesus was in the garden, Jesus even said, God, if there's any other way, please let it be, right? If there's any other way, take this cup from me, he says. Let this cup pass from me, All right? Well, if there was another way, don't you think about this time when God's only son is pleading with him to let this cup pass? Don't you think if there was another way, God would have said right then, okay, there's another way, <laughs> Right? There's another way. We'll just, let, let's just go with this. If they'll just be good people and they'll be sincere, then they're good. Right? That's what he would have said. But Jesus had said earlier, but I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the disciples believed it. Right? Peter would later summarize this. We'll see this on over in chapter 4. Peter would basically summarize the message that the disciples were sharing uh, with the world. Uh, in verse 12 of chapter 4, uh, he, he said it like this. He said, salvation is found in no one else. Salvation. This was their message. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And the message, this, the disciples took this message and they shared it all over the world. They shared it with great passion, right? They had seen something so powerful. They had seen something so glorious in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, that it was something worth devoting their entire lives to. They walked away from everything to devote their lives to this message and to this cause and to this movement. They knew that it must be spread among all the people of the earth. Everyone should hear about it. It's the only way of salvation for all of humanity, and everyone must hear it. It must be told. It must go out. The movement must begin. They were so committed to it that as these disciples, they were drugged in front of the Sanhedrin court, much like Jesus was. And the Sanhedrin court told them, they said, if you don't shut up, the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to him. Basically, you need to stop talking about Jesus. You need to quit sharing this message or you're going to be punished. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be killed. And you know what the disciples said? We believe in this so much. You got to do what you got to do, and we got to do what we got to do, right? So put us in prison, beat us, kill us, do whatever you got to do, but we're committed to making sure that every human being on the face of this earth hears this message. We were called to be witnesses, and this is how the movement began. So I want to ask you this morning, do you believe this story? Amen. Do you believe this story? That's easy to say in church. Would we 
be committed to it if we were standing before a judge that says it's your life or this message? How committed would we be to it then? Do you believe the story? Do you believe this testimony? Has it captured you in a way that you can't shut up about it? Has it captured you in a way that when someone says, sit down and shut up, you say, I'm going to stand up and get louder, right? Has it captured you to that degree? It's going to be a convicting series, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I'm a little passionate about the movement of the church. Do you believe this? Has it captured you to the fact that you can't stop telling it? Are you willing to go anywhere to share the message? Are you willing to give up anything for this message? And if not, you're not part of the movement. If you're not willing to give up anything and go anywhere, then you're not part of the movement because movements move. Are you moving with the message? Because listen, we were called to be sent. We weren't called to sit. We weren't called to stay. We weren't called to be served. We were called to serve. Jesus said, I am sending Steve. No, he said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. There's no such thing as someone who really believes the gospel and does nothing with it. There's no such thing as someone who says, I'm committed to the gospel, but yet they sit on the sideline. The disciples had been captured by this message. Have you? The second thing about this movement is this. The disciples followed the leading of the Spirit. <laughs> Have you? This is what we've got to be very careful about right here. The disciples followed the leading of the Spirit. Go back to the scene here where we, we shared our scripture earlier. Jesus gives them this huge task. This huge assignment. And then it's like he just leaves them with it, right? And, and think about it. Never had a more important assignment been given to a less qualified group of people, right? But look at what, the, the key to this is in verse 8 there when Jesus tells them this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power to carry out this assignment. When? When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't miss this, okay? This, this assignment isn't something that they can do for Jesus. This assignment that Jesus is, has given them and given us is basically this. It's something that he's going to do through us. It's not something we do for him to somehow earn his favor and check boxes off a list. It's being filled with the Spirit. It's walking in the power of the Spirit. And when we do that, Jesus says, you'll have exactly what you need to do what I'm going to do, right? And I'm going to do it through you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be even more glorious and more beautiful because people are going to see you and they're going to go, uh-uh. They're going to see me through you and they're going to go, I get it. This is going to be something that I'm going to do through you because you know, disciples, I picked, I, I picked fishermen. <laughs> I, I picked some carpenters and 
I picked tax collector. I don't even know what I was thinking when I picked tax collectors, but I did. And the only way you're going to be able to do this is if I do it for you. He's looking at us and said, I'm going to do this for you. But you've got to be a willing participant. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to walk in the power of this Spirit. And in every chapter here in the book of Acts, you get this idea that the church is just simply following the Spirit. The, the church is just simply following Him, right? Simply allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their lives because the Holy Spirit is the real mover. They're just yielding their, their, themselves to Him. They're being available to the use of the Spirit in their lives and to follow the Spirit. And so I want to make this personal this morning because I believe uh, uh, that it's important. I want you to read Jesus' promise here in verse number 8 as a direct statement to you, as a personal statement to you. And it begins, but you. Now I want you to insert your name right there, right after you. I want you to insert your name. If you're a Christian, put your name right there in that spot. But you, Steve, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you, Steve, will be my witness. All right, make that personal. That's a direct statement to you, a direct statement to you and I. He has empowered you on this movement to be his witnesses. He's given you exactly what you need. Are you yielding to that, and are you following the Holy Spirit on this movement? That's the question. Are we yielding to and following the Holy Spirit? Luke wrote both the Gospels of, of Luke and the book of Acts that we're going to be in over these next few weeks. And, and I want to point out something interesting about these two books that were written by Luke. Anytime you see that someone is filled with or following the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives, we see this. They proclaim the Word of God to someone else. Uh, every time we see it, let me give you a few examples. Luke chapter 1, verse 15 says, John the Baptist, being filled with the Spirit, proclaims the coming of the Lord. Luke 1, 41, Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, proclaimed a blessing over Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Zechariah, being filled with the Spirit, he prophesied about the coming glory uh, of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. The Holy Spirit fills the apostles at Pentecost, and they began to do what? They began to declare God's praises and his message through multiple languages. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter's filled with the Spirit, and he preaches to the, these rulers we were talking about earlier. He, he preaches to the rulers that Jesus is their only hope for salvation. Acts 4.31, the disciples are filled with the Spirit, and they speak the Word of God boldly in the face of severe persecution, right? Acts chapter 9 verse 20, Paul is filled with the Spirit, and he immediately began to preach in the synagogues. Can I ask you? Is this you? Is this you? Are you proclaiming God's word to others and are you bringing them to Jesus? These are, these are two core principles that are stated about movement that we're going to be focusing on over the next several weeks. These are, these are, are, are the two main ideas, the main beliefs about that, that started this original movement back in the first century church. The first is this, a radical, deep belief and devotion to the message. A radical and deep belief 
and devotion to the message. And the second thing is this, yielding and following the Spirit who moved them. And in light of that, here's the vision that I have for our church in the upcoming year. We want to be a movement. We want to be a movement. We, we must be willing to move. We must be willing to grow. And we must be willing to grow big. Throughout history, when the church, has a, when, when the church experienced movement, they grew. They became hu a huge movement. We're going to see here a little bit later uh, in Acts that 3,000 people got saved and baptized at, Paul, at Peter's first sermon. Another 5,000 got saved and baptized a few weeks later. And, and now listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with small churches. M many churches in the book of Acts started out that way. But let me tell you something. Small churches will not stay that way if they're moving in the direction God would have us to move. But it, it, I mean, we never see that throughout Scripture. Movements grow. And, and I've heard people say, well, yeah, and, and y'all know me, my face says everything that I shouldn't say. All right. I know it does. You can read me like a book. It's just how I am. And I've had people tell me this before. I've heard people say, well, I don't like big churches. I don't like big churches. Can I just tell you, you're probably not going to like heaven. If you don't like big churches, you definitely wouldn't have loved the way it started in the book of Acts because it was a huge movement that took over the land, took over uh, the world. This year, I want to empower our church and release you to follow the Holy Spirit. Don't follow me. I'll lead you in a train wreck, right? I want to release you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in the book of Acts, there are about 40 miracles that are recorded in the book of Acts. Out of those 40 miracles, 39 of the 40 we see took place outside a church environment. Took place out there. 39 of the 40 miracles that are recorded in the book of Acts took place outside of a church environment setting. Can I just tell you the greatest ministry in our church happens outside these walls by you. Not the board, not the staff who we pay to do all of it, right? No. The greatest ministry that's done by this church, you do it out there. I've been, I've been reading a, a book as I, I've been thinking about and and kind of the history of the church, and you go back and you look at, you know, where we were, and man, God's blessed this church so much over the years, and the things that they used to, the, you know, the church did to, to grow and to, to build the kingdom and to win lives, you know, back in history, it's incredible. I mean, they, they did, you know, what, what had to be done at the time in, in order to, to build the church and for the, the church to grow, but I, I've been reading this book, um, and there was a statement there. And when I, when I read it, I actually took a picture of it and, and put it on my phone. And, and it's this. And, and I don't know why this jumped out to me or, or why I'm focused on this, but there's a reason. But it said this. What got us here won't take us there. What got us here won't take us there. And I began to think, 
you know, the things that we've done in the past and the things that used to be so effective in the past, if, if we're honest, a lot of that stuff don't work today, right? And, and so we have got to embrace the culture that we live in and figure out the best way to build a kingdom through that. And not our plan, but following God's plan. Because I know that he's got a perfect plan for ministering to the generation that we find ourselves in right now. And so just following that and being obedient to that is, is the future of the church. Being filled with the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, following the Spirit. And when we do that, we'll be proclaiming the Word of God, and the Word of God does not return unto him void. It, it doesn't. We, like the disciples, listen, we have been sent. We have been sent, just like these disciples. And I never want us to just be a Christian ministry or institution that takes care of our own needs or just a place where people come and attend. I don't, I don't want to pastor that church, ever. I don't want to just be a place where people come and get served. I don't want us to be a place to, to where people just come so they can check it off their list every week. That, that's not a church. That's a social gathering, right? And you can find those up and down the highway anywhere you want to go. You know, who's got the latest, the greatest, the flashiest, the finest? That's not the church. That's not a movement. That, that, that's something totally different, right? And so we, like the disciples, we have been sent. And where we are sent, we will be moving. And, and my prayer is this year is that we will be a, a movement of faith people. And, and can I tell you something about faith people? Faith is where we do things and we follow God into areas that we don't think we can. You know, how nice would it be? You know, we're, we're comfortable in doing things that we know we can do. Uh, for instance, the children's ministry, we knew we could build that. We knew we could afford that. That wasn't really a great faith, step of faith for our church. I, I want us to be a movement of people of faith, that God, that, that we would be looking for God to do something in our church that we know we can't do that we don't have the ability, we don't have the talent, maybe we don't have the money to do it. That's faith. That's walking in faith. And so my prayer is that we would become not just a movement, but a movement of faith-filled people. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking more about this. I, I promise I'm not going to hand anybody a snake. We're not going to test your faith there. Um, but just over, over the next few weeks, as we, we look at the past and we talk about the past year and and we look forward. Uh, I, I just want us to really focus on what this movement looks like. The question is this. The question will be every, every week. Be the same. Have you joined the movement? Are you part of the movement? Or do you see yourself as part of, of an institution? Are you part of a movement? And if you want to be part of a movement, will you join me? Would you join us? Because there are some people here that got it moving. And we want to keep that momentum going, and we want you to be a part of that. And so we'll, we'll give God the praise that he deserves in and through whatever he does. But I'm looking forward to the next year. If I still have a job, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I love you guys, and I want 
what is only the best for God's church here in Greenbrier. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you again so much for you loved us enough to give us what you knew we needed, and that was help. Uh, We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. We don't have the finances. We don't have good enough plans. Uh, We don't have what it takes to build the kingdom. We just don't. And any of us that think we do, uh, we're foolish. God, what we need is you. We need your spirit. We need to yield to your spirit and allow your spirit to move, guide, lead, and direct us every move that we make, every decision that we make. I, I pray, God, that when you look at Greenbrier Nazarene Church, you would see a group of people that are totally committed and dedicated to what you've called us to do, and that's to be witnesses, to be witnesses and to get the message to every human being that's walking the face of this earth because the only hope that they have is in you. And if there be anybody that's here today that walked in here without that hope, I pray today would be the day that they would understand the only hope they have is in what you did on the cross. And today would be a day that they would receive that, surrender their lives to you, and commit to being a part of the movement today. So I pray that they'd find a place or a time somewhere today to make that commitment to you and spend time with you and then to make uh, that public profession of faith through baptism that we've seen so many do over the past few weeks. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us enough to help us and to remind us of what we've been called to do and what our charge is. And uh, we just want to appoint people to you and make you look good in this community. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay. I have...